Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, pretending to be host this week, Jason Ratliff, on a much-deserved and needed vacation uh, alongside Jim Callis, uh, as well, usual. Well, he's not vacationing alongside me, so... What'd you say? I see he's not vacationing alongside No, me. no, we wish we were vacationing alongside Jason Ratliff. I'm sure he's having fun adventures with the Ratliff family. Uh, we've got a great show uh, coming for you today. We're going to talk about the 2022 draft. That's right, it's never too, too soon, both Jim and I have put out stories on the top college and high school prospects. Uh, we're going to talk about some hot minor league hitters down the stretch, new member of the top 100 prospect list. And of course, as always, we will finish up with questions from you in our mailbag. Jim, even though we're not on vacation, um, I hope things are going well with you. Yeah, no, th- no things are good. Um, it's like, feels like things are finally starting to slow down for the first time oh, in you 2021. Yeah. So uh, you just, yeah, it's like, you know, there's, uh, I think most people know this by now, but you know, what you just did is akin to someone in the press box saying that a game is going quickly. Well, there's not um, a lot of variability though. I mean, now, now, yes. I mean, and I will, I will risk jinxing myself twice. Like I could get hit with a slew of what to expect stories if top 100 prospects get promoted. Um, in fact, I saw Josh Lowe got promoted, but neither you nor I have the raise. So that won't, um, affect us but like i don't we have to have like i don't know like aliens land on the earth and bring babe ruth back to life and prospects we'd have to rank alien prospects would have to rank or something for like a major project to come out of nowhere right now so i I think we're safe i will i will risk the wrath of the of the work lords i uh i look forward to your where would babe ruth rank on our top 100 prospects list story that will be coming next week as a result of this that's an inbox. That's an inbox. That is an inbox question. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's get right into it. I I know it, you know, it may seem crazy to, to talk a lot about the, uh, the 2022 draft, but, uh, you know, now that the summer is more or less over, uh, there are a couple of high school events that come in the fall, uh, you know, but I had the high school top 20 list come out, uh, last week you wrote the college top 20, uh, this week, um, why don't we start on the on the college end, uh, Jim, and you can break down what the what this college group uh, looks like and and what its uh, strengths and perceived weaknesses are. All with the caveat, as we talk about this, knowing that not only you know 
is there the possibility that all this will change? It will definitely change between now and even next spring uh, when we when we get to you know our real draft coverage uh, as the 2022 amateur season gets underway. Yeah, and well, I mean, the nice thing about doing this list this year compared to last year is you actually had summer performance to, to, to base it on. I mean, I think I did the college list last year, Jonathan, and I was looking at it and, you know, one, we had a four week college season instead of a, a full college season, right. <laughs> which was, well, you know, unusual. And then you had guys kind of popping up here and there playing in various summer leagues, but you know, there was no Cape Cod league. There was no team USA. It was all, you know, based on very little recent performance. And we obviously had a full 2021 season, a full summer. And so I feel like we, we've got a much better handle on the college class than we did, did a year ago at this time. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of two extremes. The, uh, the, the college position player crop, which was found very lacking in this year's draft, is very strong for next year. Um, you know, I, I noted there were only two college position players who went in the first 14 picks this year, just five in the first round. I can see both those numbers doubling. Um, you know, just on the position player side, you've got Brooks Lee, the Cal Poly shortstop, Jace Young, Texas Tech second baseman, Jacob Berry, corner infielder who transferred from Arizona to LSU, Brock Jones, outfielder from Stanford. I mean, Chase DeLotter from James Madison's an outfielder. There's catchers Daniel Suzak and Kevin Parada at Georgia Tech. Robert Moore at Arkansas, second baseman. So there's there's plenty, and I could go on and on, there's plenty of position player talent. I mean, just quick breakdown of the first couple guys. You know, Brooks Lee was a guy who, who if he had been signable, would have gotten first-round money out of high school uh, in 2019. Then he missed almost all of 2020. He, he injured his knee and hamstring severely and, and just had a couple plate appearances. But he came back this year. He's Big West Co-Player of the Year, starred on the U.S. Collegiate National Team and in the Cape Cod League this summer. And he's a switch hitter, exceptional bat-to-ball skills, average power, maybe even a little bit better than that. And, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, the old cliche Jonathan grew up around the game. His dad is the coach at Cal Poly, Larry Lee. So he's got fine instincts, strong arm. The, the only knock, I think, on his game would be fringy to average speed. So maybe he wants to be more of a second baseman or third baseman than a shortstop, but the bat should profile. And just the next couple of position players, Jace Young is the younger brother of Josh Young, who was the number eight overall pick out of Texas Tech in 2019. And I think Jace could go even higher. He was the Big 12 player of the year, um, polished left-handed hitter with advanced approach, just like his brother. And I think he's got more pop at the same stage of their careers. He's got kind of fringy speed and arm strength too, maybe able to stick at second. Um, if not, you know, I don't know if he really plays on the left side of the infield. So he's got to make second base work. And then, you know, Jacob Berry is really interesting. He had a huge year as a true freshman in Arizona, helped the Wildcats make the College World Series, wound up transferring to LSU when the Arizona head coach, Jay Johnson, headed to Baton Rouge. And Barry's a switch hitter. He's got big power, but he's not just a masher. He's got good hitting ability from both sides of the plate. But his position is really a question. He's, he's a below average runner, below average arm, was mostly DH for Arizona. Um, played first base for Team USA. There's some thought he might be able to play third base, but I've got LSU's third baseman on this list already. In K. Doty, they've got a good first baseman as well, so we'll see where he winds up, but he's interesting. And I won't break down all 20 guys. People can go read the article, but it's, it's an exciting position player crop. And then quickly on the pitchers, Jonathan, it's kind of crazy. Just a lot of question marks. I mean, the, the best pitcher coming in was expected to be Alabama left-hander Connor Prelip. He had Tommy John surgery in May. 
The number two pitcher might have been Arkansas right-hander Peyton Paulette. Well, he hurt his elbow in May. He hasn't had surgery yet. Um, and, and I think the top pitcher, and then this is a guy from your area of the country you'll get to write about next year. He's pretty interesting. Is Reggie Crawford from Connecticut, who hit 13 homers this season as a two-way player. He's only pitched eight innings in two years at Connecticut, but he, he looked really good you know, in those glimpses. He pitched a little bit with Team USA in the Cape League, struck out 30 of the 56 batters he faced this year, averaging a 96 miles an hour and hitting 100 with his fastball. He's got a power slider that hits 88. Um, he's six foot four. He's physical. He's left-handed. And if he holds up as a starter next year and continues to throw strikes and he develops a, an off-speed pitch, he might be the number one overall pick in the draft. So he's interesting. Hunter Barco would be the next pitcher, but, but the pitching is, is much more unsettled. Barco's a lefty from Florida, but the pitching's much more unsettled uh, compared to the uh, position player crop. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It would be interesting to have a pitcher from UConn be the number one guy. Uh, yeah. But I guess, you know, I mean, we're also Matt looking. Matt is rooting for that. Yeah, right, right. Charles Nagy. Wow, look at you going into your Yukon history bag right there. Uh, you know, and, and even even thinking about Brooks Lee, who is incredibly talented uh, as the top of your list from Cal Poly. You know, we're not we're not. It's interesting. We're not looking at the sort of schools that we normally look at, uh, at least as of right now, at the at the very top with with, with those guys. Um, the lotters from James Madison, too. I mean, he's, right. he's another one. I mean, good, yeah. good programs, but not necessarily teams you're talking about with, with the number one overall picks. And my, my thought, Jonathan, I, I got to see the high school guys a little bit when we were out in Denver for the draft, the high school America game. It seems like that crop is more balanced. Is it not? It is. It is. It's, um, and then I'll, I'll run through the, the names of, of the, of the first several. It, it's more balanced. And I think the top four, uh, when I was working on this list has sort of solidified itself as the top four, at least as of right now. So uh, at the top, we have Tamar Johnson, uh, who is a high school shortstop, probably won't be uh, at the next level, but can really, really hit. Uh, almost everybody feels he is the best pure high school hitter in the class uh, from, from Georgia. Elijah Green uh, may be the name that people are most familiar with uh, from, from the high school uh, ranks. There was some talk that he was going to reclassify for last year's rep, but then he's at IMG Academy tools the outfielder with some swing and miss concerns at number two. Dylan Lesko is the top pitcher, also from, from Georgia. Uh, Vanderbilt commit, uh, you, you know, it's a prototypical uh, athletic right-hander. Uh, it's really good stuff. Three-pitch three, three pitch mix now, mid-90s fastball plus changeup. Uh, can really spin the breaking ball also. Drew Jones, uh, and yes, this is Andrew Jones's son, one of many times that uh, Jim and I will continue to feel old as we continue working on on the draft, uh, very very toolsy as well. Uh, you know, can play center field. Um, you know, one scout said that you could put sixty grades on him across the board, um, and that's the top four. Most people feel that those four have kind of separated themselves, both in terms of kind of the hype coming into the summer and then how they performed. Um, there's a good mix of of pitching. Uh, after that, Brock Porter, right-hander from Michigan, uh, actually Orchard Lake uh, St. Mary's Prep in Michigan has a couple players. Uh, there's an outfielder, Nolan Schubert, uh, Schubert, who didn't make my top 20, but uh, to have two guys from Michigan who are you know potential first-round types is, is kind of interesting. Uh, Tristan Smith is a lefty from South Carolina. Brandon Barrera, another lefty from American Heritage in Florida. 
had a run on lefties here, Jackson Ferris, also from IMG Academy. And then rounding out the top 10, you have uh, Ian Ritchie Jr., who's from the Pacific Northwest, and Andrew uh, <laughs> Dukanich, uh, who uh, is from Indiana, more of a pitchability guy, but can 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 really pitch with uh, with some, some good stuff uh, to boot. So that's that that's the top ten. A little more balanced, uh, as you said, uh, Jim. Uh, you know, I think the thing that kind of when looking at these lists combined, and things obviously change. A, a guy, you know, we'll put out a, a draft top one hundred uh, typically in we'll say early December. Um, that hasn't been, you know, completely nailed in, into place, but there isn't a guy on either list who jumps out as this has to, has to be the top guy, right? I mean, and, you know, last year that guy was Kumar rocker, uh, and to show you that things can, can obviously change. And there wasn't as much, uh, as, to your point, performance or data for the college guys, but he was clearly thought to be the top guy in the class uh at, at you know at this time of year uh or heading into december as of right now i'm looking at these lists there's a lot of talented players there isn't one guy that screams out like this has to be the the guy who's the number the number one guy no i agree i think elijah green might be the most famous guy you know because his tools are crazy um yeah there's a lot of good college players i think you could argue them in a, in a bunch of different orders i i wouldn't be shocked if, if my top 10 looks markedly uh markedly different next year. You know, one thing that was interesting is, is we, is you, you were mentioning your guys and I was talking about some of mine, the, the, the amount of guys with, with, with bloodlines is fascinating to me. I mean, on the college side, you got Brooks Lee, I mentioned as the son of Cal Poly coach, Larry Lee, Jace Young is the younger brother of Josh Young. Um, you go down a little bit, Daniel Suzak, his brother, Andrew caught six seasons in the big leagues, Robert Moore's dad and the Arkansas second baseman is GM of the Royals Dayton Moore. Um, I know I'm forgetting somebody. Okay, I guess that, that that's it on the on the college side. And then on the high school side, you've got Elijah Green's dad was an All Pro tight end in the NFL, Eric Green. You know Drew Jones, you mentioned. You know Andrew Jones, um, and you got Matt Holiday's kid, or Cam Collier, who Luke third Collier's baseman son? who reclassified is Luke Collier's son. He may wind up at Chipola, but for now he's at Mount Perrin Christian High School, which I believe was Taylor Trammell great friend of the podcast. I believe that was his high school. So we count him as a high school guy. You have Tucker Toman. I've known his dad, Jim Toman, since he was uh, assistant coach at NC State. He's the coach at Middle Tennessee State right now. And then uh, the last guy on your list, Jackson Holiday's Matt Holiday's son. So I didn't, I wasn't tallying, but that seems like that's like, like at least a quarter of uh, the 40 players yeah. on the two lists have baseball or, you know, in Elijah Green's case, you know, an NFL all pro tight end, you know, connection. So right. lots of interesting background with these guys. It is interesting because we, um, we typically like, we will do a story on, on bloodlines and, and, you know, whether it's the, the, the guys who are going to go at the top of the draft or, th you know, in the entire draft class. And sometimes you have, you know, you kind of have to reach. I don't recall having, this many names, uh, you know, at sort of at the top of these lists now with those kinds of bloodlines. And, you know, a guy like Jackson Holiday you mentioned is interesting because he had a very up and down summer. And he's a guy that several people mentioned, like keep an eye on him uh, in terms of him moving up charts as he settles in. And, you know, he, was, he, he sort of fell prey to that trying to do too much thing uh, on the on the showcase circuit. And if he settles in, uh, you know, he, he could move up 
close to the to the top of that high school list. Um, all right. So now that we have these lists, it means, of course, that we are I think we're contractually obligated to to do a draft of our own uh, as we are wont to do. And the good thing is, um, since I'm playing host and I don't want to decide who to take first, I'm deciding that you get the number one pick. Um, and are we serpentining? Or no, are we let's just, just go back and forth. Why don't we just go back and forth? I th- I, okay. You know, I, you know, and I, I know you enjoy the serpentine draft. I mean, really, who doesn't? Um, but uh, when it's just the two of us, I you know. Yeah, no, uh, it's fine, and, and I don't think there's like any. Like, like there are, is no clear cut number one, but it, it's funny. I anticipated this was coming. And <laughs> I still don't know who I want to pick. <sighs> I mean, you know, the, the, it would make sense for you to take one of the two guys who's at the top of one of those well, two lists, but I it's mean, not a, it's not a slam dunk. That, that is what I'm going to do. And, and I'm going to take, I, I will take Brooks Lee who I ranked number one on the college list. I, I think it's funny. I think his profile is very, very, very similar to Termar Johnson's profile. Uh, there, I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, Brooks Lee is a switch hitter. And, and, and I guess I will go with Brooks Lee because he's proven it at a higher level. So, so I will take Brooks Lee, the Cal Poly shortstop, with the number one pick. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of guys on, on both lists who – are bat first players, not that they aren't good in other areas, but that, you know, their hitting ability kind of trumps the rest of their game. And I, I think they're going to dominate the top of the draft. So I will take Brooks Lee. I, I, I know who you're going to pick, but, uh, but that's fine. It's, it's, I, I'll take Brooks Lee. And I, I do. I, I'm projecting <laughs> a, a, a middle infielder for Mays high school in Georgia. You're we'll correct. I right. am going to take Tamar Johnson, who is number one on the, the high school list. And you know, the thing that's interesting with him, I mean, there are a couple things. One, he is not committed to college uh, as of yet, which is, is a rarity for a guy, you know, as highly thought of. And the other thing is that, uh, and you're right, like Tamar Johnson, by the way, he'll probably play second base as a pro, and he has a chance to be a very, very good defensive second baseman, you know, maybe even a plus defensive second baseman. But, you know, go look through draft history and find a high school second baseman who went number one. Overall, now he plays shortstop, you know, for his high school team. But, you know, over the summer, uh, he played second base. He played second base uh, at, at the, you know, the All-American game in Denver uh, that we both, you know, that we saw. Um, but he can really, really hit. Um, he was my favorite guy in Denver. He did really well. He was like my he was my sleeper pick in the high school home run derby. He did very well, even though he didn't advance. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but there's just so much bat speed. And, and and strength, uh, uh, you know, and as much power as there is in a smaller size guy, uh, he's he knows how to hit, uh, and you know isn't afraid to go the other way. So I, you know, I think he is a complete package in terms of a hitter. So yeah, definitely taking the bat early on here. Okay, you got it. Number and, three, at number three, and I'm gonna, I'm going to be a little quicker so we don't make this yeah. a two hour podcast. I'm gonna I'm going to shock you. I'm shocking you. I'm going to go Drew Jones with my number two pick. I, like I really it. like Drew Jones and my brief look at him in Denver. I don't his tools are not as electric as Elijah Green's, but they're pretty electric. Um, he kind of reminded me of his dad. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as his dad because his dad's a borderline Hall of Famer. But I, I, I like his bat a little bit better than Elijah Green. So I'm going to go Drew Jones with my, my second round pick here. 
I, uh, I I like that. And, you know, I had some, you know, when I told you, like, I had a scout who said you could put 60s on them across the board, and he doesn't have a real glaring weakness. There's some mechanical things with his swing that people don't love, but it it, it didn't hurt him, uh, you know, and there were less weaknesses than with some of the other high school tools, the outfielders. It's, it, it's a strength of this high school class. Um, well, so I uh, I'm going to stay the high school route. But I'm I'm also gonna, you know, not go according to to chalk, and I'm gonna take Dylan Lesko, um, who is the top high school arm in the class, and and I think by default, as we discussed, since there are not a ton of uh, college arms, he is the best pitcher uh, in the class, and I, you know, a high school right-hander has never gone number one overall, and so I I, I would certainly not ever, you know, bank on that happening, but. Uh, the combination of his size, the stuff, the projection, the athleticism, uh, he could belong in that conversation uh, in, in terms of how good he, he can be. And he's clearly the, the, the best pitcher in the class and, and looked at this summer. No, I like that pick. And he, he's the first underclassman to win Gatorade's National Player of the Year Award. I yep. actually got to meet him a little bit in Denver and talked to him. was very impressed with him. So fine pick there. Well, I, I will not pass Elijah Green. Again, so I will come back and get Elijah Green with this pick. Um, I, you know, you know, I think there is some question about the swing and miss, like like you get with high school guys. But I mean, his speed's elite. His raw power is crazy good. He's he's a definite center fielder. It's it's the best physical tools in this draft. Probably would have been the best physical tools in the 2021 draft. Um, so I will take Elijah Green here in the third round. We're, we're, we, we've now gone four high school guys in the first five. Yeah, games. and you may and you may look back at this and say getting Elijah Green number five is a is a steal. I mean, he has a chance to be a very special player. Um, so uh, nicely done there. Uh, I'm trying to fight my familiarity bias because I did the high school list, so I, I know them much better. But much better. But I think I'm going to go to your college list, and I don't think I can pass up uh, Jace Young from Texas Tech. Uh, I think yes, maybe he's limited defensively, but that kind of advanced college bat, uh, you know, if he goes out and, and performs, uh, he's going to go higher than six would be my guess. Um, you know, even though there are some other, you know, other college bats who could pass him up if they really go out and he doesn't perform quite as well. But uh, I do like the certainty of the, of the college bat there at number six. No, I, I think that makes sense. And, I, and I'm just going to follow up. You know, I'm not sure exactly what position he'll play, but but I've got two great athletes already in Drew Jones and Elijah Green. So I, I'm going to take Jacob Berry. I, I think he's going to have a huge year at LSU. was very impressed with him last year. And, and I think that battle play wherever he winds up, even if it's at first base. I, I will take Jacob Berry, corner infielder from Louisiana State, as my fourth-round pick. Okay. Well, I think – hmm. You know what? I think now that uh, I have my right-hander, uh, now I need my left-hander, but I'm going to go the 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 college route. Uh, your description of Reggie Crawford from UConn sold me. So, uh, you know, I've got my high school uh, right-hander, and now I've got my uh, my, my college lefty in in uh, in Reggie Crawford uh, with. Re- ridiculous stuff uh you know assuming that he does hold up as a as a starter but i'm gonna i'm gonna bank on that you know six six foot four left-hander uh with tremendous amounts of upside yeah no i I like that pick i mean the only reason reggie crawford doesn't rank higher 
is there just isn't much track record of him on the mound. Um, but, you know, when guys have seen him, if, like I said, if he starts and comes out and shows the same stuff and throws strikes like he has, he's going to go really, really good. Well, I'm going to stick with our, our fourth straight college pick, and I'm going to uh, create confusion by, by adding Brock Jones to Drew Jones. So we'll have to put first initials on the back of their jerseys. But <laughs> Brock Jones of Stanford, um, he's former safety on Stanford's football team before he decided to focus on baseball. It's well above the left, above average lefty power. It's plus speed. He performed well in the spring. Um, good chance he sticks in center field. So uh, I, I really like my – I'm looking at my defensive outfield here. I, I guess Brock Jones winds up in left. And I, I guess maybe I have to give Drew Jones center because, you know, his dad and, and, and we'll put Elijah Green in right. But, um, man, we're going to cover a lot of ground. In the yeah, three, three center fielders out there. That's pretty good. You know, I, it's funny. I look, I, I was thinking about Brock Jones, and I, I think I just have this um, – it is a bit of a bias. Like Stanford hitters always concern me. It has nothing to do with Brock Jones whatsoever. Uh, it's just that there, there's been a bit of a check and more like different coaching staffs and things like that. It's, it's not, uh, it's not a rational thing, but uh, you know, I think of the John Mayberries and the Ryan Garcos of the world who came out of Stanford and, and did not perform as hoped as professionals. So, you know, kudos to you for, for, you know, using that bias to your advantage. So he was there for you there. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go upside lefty here. I'm going to go down the list a little bit uh, because I really like Jackson Ferris from IMG. Um, he's a little bit of an unorthodox delivery, so the command has come and gone. But you know, he's six foot four. There's a lot of projection. He's already in the mid 90s. Uh, he's going to be at IMG, so I think you're going to get a really good look at him this year. And I think that he's going to go out and perform and end up being. Uh, you know, close to Dylan Lesko in terms of the the top high school arms in the class. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm just going to continue loading up on hitters because there's there's so many hitters I like. I, I'm going to take another college hitter. I'm going to take Chase DeLauder out of James Madison, and and you know James Madison played a 28 game schedule during the spring, so he didn't get seen as much. I mean, he had a great year. He had an ops over 1,200, but he led the Cape Cod League in slugging, tied for home run lead this summer. He's six foot four, big left-handed hitter, bat speed, strong, got a really disciplined approach. Like, like he might have the most discipline, disciplined approach on this list. And he runs well for his size. He's got a chance to stay in center, and he's got the arm to play right field. So I now have four outfielders. We're going to be using a short fielder on my team. But uh, <laughs> I feel pretty good about the athleticism on my club. All right. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I have these arms now, so now I need someone to catch them. So I'm going to take Daniel Susak uh, off that college list, uh, the top college uh, catching prospect. He can really hit. Uh, I think he's going to be fine behind the plate. He's got some bloodlines with his brother who played in the big leagues. Okay. Um, you know, it's tough because like, I, I'm not afraid of risk, but I, there's all these good college hitters. And, there, and there's all these high school pitchers are the next guys up on your list. And, and you, you confounded me by taking going down and taking Jackson Ferris, who ranks eighth on your list, uh, ahead of other pitchers who rank ahead of him. I, 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 will go, I will go high school pitcher. I'll go Brock Porter here. Um, I, I guess I need a pitcher. You know, and I just like, you know, like 
yes, there is risk with high school pitchers, but he's six foot four. He's physical. The fastball's up to 97. He's got a three pitch mix. He has feel for throwing strikes. So I'll go ahead and take Brock Porter here. Uh, I guess we're in round seven of our 10 round draft. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I think I'm going to stay college bat and I'm going to take Dayton Moore's kid, Robert, um, who has really been uh, kind of an up and comer undersized, but he really barrels up the baseball switch hitter um, smart on the bases. Uh, You know, he's going to play second base, but uh, you know, he can uh, fight, fight it out with, uh, with Tamar Johnson in, in my organization. Okay. Um, I, you know, I've got so many hitters. I am going to take a pitcher. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Hunter Barco, college pitcher, uh, University of Florida lefty. He had first round buzz in high school two years ago, strained his shoulder and got shut down about a month before the draft, but he's been healthy. He's been Florida's best starter in each of his two seasons, throws strikes with four pitches, 90, 93 mile an hour fastball up to 95 slider and changeup. Can be plus offerings at times. Curveball kind of lags behind, but I will go. I'll, I will go Hunter Barco. I like that pick. I like that pick. And uh, you know, since I went down uh, to to take Jackson Ferris, who I think is eventually going to move up. And keep in mind, like the list we did were based on how they performed over the summer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tristan Smith, um, who really was very good on on the showcase circuit you know, the summer before last as an underclassman was a little more uneven, but we're still talking about a guy who touched 95, 96. Uh, he's got a good breaking ball. He missed bats with both. Uh, there's uh, a lot of projection uh, to, to come committed to Clemson. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit wild card here. <sighs> do I want to do this? Eh. <laughs> I'm torn. I'm torn here as to what I want to do with my next pick. Um, it's your penultimate pick, so. Yeah, I won't. I won't go crazy. I, 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 I you know what? I'll just Boo. I'll play the chalk. What's that? Boo! Booing me? I, I, chance, I'm gonna man. I'm gonna play the chalk and go okay. Kevin Parada here. Um, I, you know, Georgia Tech catcher. I'm a Georgia guy, so like taking Georgia Tech guys a little tough. But no, I mean he can he can hit for power and average. Had a really good year as a true freshman. The question I think is, you know, can he stay behind the plate? Some teams question that. They they think his receiving and blocking arm are all kind of fringy. Others think he'll get better and, and love the offense he provides a catcher. So I'll, I'll go Kevin Parada at catcher here in the ninth round. If you hadn't taken him, I would have. I thought that would have been very good value. Uh, you know, for well, you for can take Logan the- Tanner, who I have 14th on my list, who's better defensively than Suzak Prada and hit 15 homers last year for the national champions. Mm, so, interesting, interesting. Um, I, I am going to go to your college list, but I will go more according to Chuck, and I'm going to take Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, had a good spring, uh, played very well for the collegiate national team. Um, you know, and did well when in, in that three game series against the Olympic team. Uh, good, solid tools that can really hit and power from the left side of the plate. Uh, I like that that uh, that right field profile. Yeah, he's he's good. And in ten, we might look back, and that might be late because I mean, he was you know in inter squad play. He was U.S. collegiate national team's best hitter. He went four for eleven against the, the the pros on the U.S. Olympic team. He can really really hit. 
and and he's I don't think he's got a below average tool. So he, he's a nice pick. And now I will I will go my wild card a little bit. I, I'm going to take Connor Prelip here out of Alabama. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think he'd be our top rated pitching prospect if he hadn't had Tommy John surgery in May. He may not pitch next year for the Crimson Tide, and it might be a situation similar to Cal Quantrill, who who came back from Tommy John surgery, sat out in 2016 in Stanford, still an eighth overall in, in the draft. Um, so I'm going to take Prelip here. He was 92-95 before he got hurt. Um, he's got, I think he's given up maybe two or three runs in 28 college innings with a 47-7 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's got a short, hard slider, good feel for a changeup. So I'm going to bet that he returns to to health and take him here with my last pick. And, and I do think figuring out where to put him in our rankings next year is going to be difficult because I think it's going to be just like Cal Quantrill. I, I don't think he's necessarily going to pitch and he still might be the best college pitcher in this draft. Wow. Taking a guy going off the board with your last pick. Uh, so I'm torn here, uh, you know, in terms of what I want to do. So I think, when push comes to shove, I'm just going to be a homer, and I'm going to take Cole Young right here from Pittsburgh, North Allegheny High School. Uh, and, and he's the kind of guy that, you know, it'll be hard to, I think, place where he's going to be because he's not the kind of guy you see him play once and go, wow. But he just really does everything well. He can play shortstop. Uh, you know, he's more hit over power. But it's more the 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 sum of the parts, you know, the kind of thing than any one thing that jumps out at you with some of the, you know, compared to some of these high school toolsy outfielders, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have that wow tool, but uh, he can he he can really play. So, uh, I, I and and this way I can you know go watch him uh, play his senior year, which I was going to do anyway here in my in my backyard. So so which 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 did you which played a bigger role in that pick for you Jonathan was it his Pittsburgh roots or was it his, his flowing locks he he had some of the best hair at the high school <laughs> America game so so uh, well, which, which did you admire more I, yeah well I admire anyone who still has hair but I would say it's it's more the 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 berg than 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 the flow okay so I, I'm just doing quick unless I miscounted here I think of our twenty picks. We took eight high school players, including four of the, of the first five, and seven pitchers. So, um, okay. But I think it's going to be an interesting draft next year. I, I, I do feel like I'm not saying this is like a 2005, 2011 11 level draft, but I do know you probably heard this. I, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, Jonathan. Scouts are very enthused about the crop of hitters high school and college in this yes. draft. Yeah, I think I think on the offensive side, it, it should be fun. Now they have to go out and perform in the spring uh, to sort of live up to the standards that they, they set this summer. All right, when we come back after this break, we're going to look at minor league hitters who are heating up as the season draws to a close, and that's next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan May along with Jim Callis. I know you're missing the dulcet tones of Jason Ratliff. He will be back with us soon enough. Uh, but right now, we're going to turn our sights uh, to minor league baseball action. We're kind of getting down to the home stretch here. And uh, we last week had a story where we looked at the uh, hottest minor league hitters uh, as the season uh, is coming to a close, really, over the, the last month, uh, more or less the month of August. 
uh, and uh, some very interesting names on there, Jim. I, you know, I thought it was a, a, a combination, and you can find that on, on MLB Pipeline right now uh, still uh, from this story, a combination of top 100 guys uh, who are, you know, everybody knows who follows prospects to some guys who are kind of off the radar, and uh, it's either been a continuation uh, of what they've done all year to turn themselves into legitimate prospects or guys who are just, you know, had a tremendous uh, month of, of August when often, you know, prospects kind of hit a wall. And uh, I, for one, was actually pleased with how many options there were. I was kind of expecting when we started to look into this that, well, it may be, may be tough. Like how many guys are really having, you know, that great years. And, uh, but there, there are some, some some good guys and uh so jim for for your teams uh, i know you have a couple of guys who sort of fit into that you know off the radar now on the radar category yeah definitely i mean i the, the two guys who jumped out at me were, were guys who honestly you know weren't really in my discussion to make my top 30 list at the beginning of the season. You know, the first is Dustin Harris of the Rangers, who, who's now on our overall top 10 first base prospects list. And, you know, he was a guy who hit well in two years of junior college. The A's signed him over slot $250,000 in the 11th round in, in 2019 on St. Petersburg, JC. And then he went to the Rangers last September as a player to be named in the Mike Miner trade. And, and obviously at the time of the trade, he, he wasn't playing because nobody was playing in the minor leagues. He had, you know, had a nice debut in, in rookie and short season ball, but like, you know, it wasn't a big time guy. The Rangers had depth and he's come out this year. He's had, he's had a great year. I mean, he's, he's, he has heated up recently, but he's, he's been pretty consistent the whole year. Um, you know, he's at the point now, I mean, he hit 418 with eight homers in August you know, he's now for the season hitting 323. He's got 18 homers overall. He's got an ops of, of, of 928. And, you know, left-handed hitter, very good feel for the bat, controls the strike zone well. Um, so I think this is a guy who's going to be, you know, continue to hit. He hit just one homer in, in that pro debut with the A's in 58 games. Uh, the Rangers work to help him launch more balls in the air, and that's taken off. And he actually, he's got deceptive speed. And he'll flash plus run times. He'll, he can steal bases. Um, he's, he's got 24 steals this year. The last time I checked, I don't have the caught stealing in front of me. He'd only been caught one time. You know, he's played some third base. Um, the, he runs well enough. They're going to give him some outfield time. He could be a guy who could play on all four corners, but he's, he's really, really interesting. And then a guy, I admit, I ne- I mean, I'd, I'd heard of Dustin Harris cause he was in the trade. I'd never heard of Romy Gonzalez with the White Sox. Uh, he's a shortstop. He was an 18th round pick out of Miami. Never really hit much for the Hurricanes. Um, he was an all-star in the Cape Cod League. And that kind of helped him get drafted. Homer 10 times in his 54-game debut. But then he really struggled in low A the next year in 2019. It was limited at-home development last year, so it wasn't like he was on anybody's radar. And, you know, this year has been, you know, pretty spectacular. You know, they, they jumped him from low A in 2019 to double A, made it up to triple A, uh, you know, toward the end of August, hit a combined 275 with 23 homers, 22 steals. I think he was the second 2020 player in the big leagues. He actually has been promoted to the White Sox. And, and then, as we know, the White Sox are contending. This isn't just a, a, a bad team, you know, running guys out there. I mean, he, he got promoted to a contender. And, you know, interesting guy. You know, best tools probably is plus raw power. Um, he's aggressive. So I don't think he's going to hit for a, for a high average. But but he definitely gets to all the power he has. He's an average runner with good instincts. 
kind of average arm. Range and hands are a little bit fringy. So he's he's played shortstop. Um, also seen time in the outfield. Um, he's played all four infield and, and outfield spots, all three outfield spots in the, in the in his pro career already. And he might wind up being a, a utility guy. But but you know, hat off, hats off to, to Romy Gonzalez, who, like I said, Jonathan, I had never heard of him coming into the year, and he's in the big leagues right now for, on a good team. And, and people you? should be aware, especially because, you know, with with the White Sox, uh, you know, with all the graduations and the trades as they've competed, like the, the system's thinned out. So you've had to dig pretty deep. So for there to be a guy that you weren't aware of, um, that's that's a pretty good jump onto onto the radar there into a guy who's now, uh, you know, a, a competitive a competitive player. Um, so I'm going to do one non-radar guy and one, uh, you know, uh, clearly on the radar guy. Uh, from my group, the the non-radar guy was Lawrence Butler uh, from the A's, who was not on the top thirty, and his name had had not really come up much. Uh, you know, when I was working uh, on on the on the A's list, and you know, I think the thing you know that which is interesting because you know the A's system is not super deep, but this is a guy who uh, was a high school draftee uh, back in 2018, a sixth rounder ton of raw power and a lot of swing and miss and he just he wasn't really getting to it you know didn't do much his his debut summer in 2018 in the uh, rookie level arizona league had a 562 ops in in the new york pen league in in 2019 so he was not on the radar and you know it's one of those things that like you don't know with guys like this during that time in 2020 where he didn't play baseball you don't know how that's going to impact. And and he moved to full season ball and the power started to show up. Now there's still swing and miss concerns. So we've got a long way to go before we can really make sure that this guy is a, uh, is a legitimate, legitimate prospect, but he had 17 homers and 26 steals in 88 games in low a and got a, a bump up to high. A. He's hurt now. So he hasn't been able to add to that. He, you know, you know, only three homers away from, joining that 2020 club. Uh, but this is a guy who is now, you know, firmly on, on the A's list. Uh, he, he's there now at 22. Uh, and there's a ton of upside here and he's big and strong and athletic left-handed swinger. And someone within the organization sort of said it was a little bit of a, a Daryl strawberry kind of whip to his swing. So a ton of bat speed there. Uh, so he's kind of fun on the, on the radar side of things. I have to go, uh, with Zach Veen uh, of the Rockies, uh, you know, obviously this is not a guy who people are unfamiliar with. Uh, he was their their first round pick uh, a year ago. Had, you know, started off kind of slowly, uh, but then in August had a 389, 462, 633 line with four homers and 20 run runs batted in. He's been really, really good. Uh, 32 steals. Uh, you know, and he, the thing that really stands out in here, I'm going to be the one to throw out a quick uh, quiz. You ready? Yep. All right. So he's re- currently hitting over 300, got an on base over 400, and a slugging over 500. Now, there are actually a few players from the 2020 draft class, like, and I'm looking at high school guys, who are kind of in that uh, in that neck of the woods. Uh, you know, Tyler Soderstrom. Uh, a couple of others are kind of right in in that net, but this is not something that's happened all that often. Can you name the last 
high schooler who in his first full season pulled off that 300, 400, 500 or better feat. Okay, I'm going to say it's not <laughs> Mickey Moniak. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I'll just go with the first thing that popped in my head, even though I don't think it's right. But I think he was hurt a little bit, but I'm going to assume he played enough. I'd say I'm going to say Brandon Rogers just because Asheville is a good place to hit. That would be incorrect. Um, and, but I'm also not sure. He also might have been hurt. Yeah, I don't think and, he and played enough. Time. I'm and, not sure and, Brandon Rogers got enough playing time. Uh, I I will say that uh, I, I like where you're going with that, and and a high school infielder would have been the the right thing to do. But the correct answer is Bo Bichette. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, yeah. He was the a second year. rounder in 2016, and then in 2017 uh, played across two levels and hit 362 with a 423 on base and 565 slugging. Uh, you know, I hadn't done an exhaustive search, but it kind of fell down the rabbit hole a little bit on this because I was like, I wonder if this has happened much at all. And it is interesting that there are a few, I think Jordan Walker was in, in the right neck of the woods for last year's draft class and in, in, in this year. Uh, so there may be a few guys who pull off the feet, but it's clearly not something that has, uh, that has happened uh, all that often. No, I mean, and Bichette led the minors in hitting that year too. Yeah, he was ridiculous. I remember, I remember writing this, and I don't remember the guy's name, but he was like the youngest full season minor league batting champion since I think that in the in the draft era. I think you had to go back to the early early '60s, and that was even a a come down, Jonathan, from his pro debut, where he, he played three weeks and hit four twenty seven, four fifty one, seven thirty two. So. Yep, yep, yep. And so for for people who always think that we never admit that we were wrong, Bo Bichette was from is from my area, uh, and uh, in in the draft, completely whiffed on him. I was not alone because a lot of people in the scouting industry missed him too. So, uh, but that happens. Uh, before we close out this segment, one guy that we kind of I think we need to talk about, uh, and it's weird to say uh, because we've spent so much time talking about him for so long, is uh, is Wanda Franco. Uh, who has been just absolutely, I mean, I don't want to say ridiculous, but like he's now more as advertised, you know, he's still 20 years old, right? So, you know, you have to give him some, some, some grace, but what he has been doing has been absolutely ridiculous um you know a, a 989 uh, ops over the last 28 days has now brought his season totals up to uh 285 467 slugging 346 on base that's an 813 ops overall um and you know uh, this is kind of he, he looks like the wander franco we thought he was going to be in, in a lot of ways it's happened more quickly uh than i think we would have expected um, and uh, you know, a special tip of the cap with his ridiculously long uh, on-base streak. Yeah, well, continues. I mean, he, you know, last night he tied the American League record for players 20, year old, 20 years old or younger. I'm sorry, he broke it. He, he, he was tied with Mickey Mantle. <laughs> he now has passed Mickey Mantle. He's got a 37-game on-base streak, longest active streak in the big leagues, tied with D.J. LeMahieu for the longest streak in the big leagues this season. Again, he's breaking into the big leagues at age 20. And oh, by the way, he didn't get to play last year because of the coronavirus. There was no season. And the only player as young as, as Franco to have that a longer streak, 
Uh, that's some guy named Frank Robinson who had a 43 game streak. So that's, that's what Frank is going after. And it's, you know, I'm working on our rookie power rankings after we, we voted. Uh, it is a vote. So it's not just my list. I'm, I'm going to get killed on Twitter later today, which is fine. You know, he won't win the award, <laughs> but if, if, if Franco continues to play like this for the rest of the season, he's, he's going to wind up playing about 85 games or so. I, I don't think he'll win the award for an 85 game season, but if he continues to play like he has for the last month, he might wind up with more wins above replacement in about half a season than any American League rookie this year. He might wind up with more than Randy Arazarena, who's on the same team and has been in the lineup all year. So I don't think he'll actually win the award because I don't think his counting numbers will be that that, that strong because he only will have played half a season. But, I mean, he's having quite the remarkable year. Yeah, it's really and 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 you know just to close out this segment, he hit a huge August uh, where he hit th- you know three thirteen and just in six six September games he's got an eleven twenty one ops. Uh, so he just you know the, he keeps getting better and better as the as the season goes on. And uh, I agree with you. I think you know he, he's going to keep creeping up those those rankings, which obviously we vote on internally. And I think especially because that on base streak has gotten so much attention, he's going to creep into the conversation i don't see him winning american league rookie of the year uh, but uh it'll be an interesting thing to talk about uh well what if he had been up all year kind of thing and had had you know a, a greater amount of games to get himself settled and then get going like he has but uh certainly exciting and uh you know we all knew what he was capable of and to say that he's exceeding expectations seems kind of silly since he was number one prospect all the time but uh, he is he is doing that right now. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we return, we're going to discuss the newest member of the top 100 prospects list and dip into your questions in the listener mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan May, along with Jim Callis, only one new top 100 guy uh, to talk about. I don't think we're going to have too many more uh, replacements. Uh, uh, as we we go along, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but this one is kind of interesting uh, because we certainly, uh, whether it's when we get questions from from people or just people on Twitter in, in general, a lot of people asking uh, when Nick York of the Red Sox was going to make the top 100, and the answer is uh, now. Uh, Josiah Gray graduated uh, now with the with the Nationals, and Nick York was the replacement. Jim, I mean, you, you have the Red Sox, but Nick York is a really interesting case because uh, he his selection in the first round took a lot of us by surprise. Um, but it does seem, at least right now, that the Red Sox knew what they were doing. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. It might have been last week's podcast. I think our mailbag question was something along the lines of, like, who are guys – who, if they continue to produce, could, could make their way on the top 100. And he said, well, we're, we've already identified who's going on the next couple guys on the list, and we're not going to pick them. And then I went ahead and talked about Nick York and Yuri Perez. And then after we got done and we were working on this, this what we call uh, in the biz, one fet, one for each team story on the hottest hitting prospect, I was writing up Nick York. Now, I was actually talked to a scout about him. You know, York hit 195 in May. Um and he's hit about 380 since then, including 429 in August. You know, he's, uh, you know, I mean, he was drafted for his bat. 
know, he's hitting 334, 423, 516. So there's your second high school player, Jonathan. 300, 400, 500. Yes, yes, right. I knew I was forgetting someone that we were, I was, I had and been he's kind of safely above. So I think yes, he's probably yeah, going to join that list. Yep. Stay up there. He's got 12 homers, 12 steals. And yeah, just you know, what, what's super interesting about York, and, and we've told this story on the podcast too, when we were doing the 2020 draft, and Jason, like I was doing a running commentary on picks for our website, and Jason was giving me, Jason Ratliff was giving us, give me the picks when he found out. He was finding out from the technical side a little bit in advance so I could write them up if I didn't have to talk about him. And when he said the Red Sox were taking Nick York, I was like, Jason, stop effing around and give me the name, like, so I can write it up. And he's like, Nick York. I'm like, this isn't funny. Like, what are you doing? Like, and it was Nick York. Uh, I was caught off guard too. And, you know, we we talked about the fact you had shoulder surgery in, in 2019. So he DH'd in the spring, didn't play a lot on the showcase circuit. And then because of the coronavirus shutdown, he played five games last year. So guys just didn't see him. But the Red Sox had seen enough to believe that he could become an elite hitter. So they took him 17th overall. And he looks like an elite hitter. Uh, You know, it's a great swing. It's advanced plate discipline. He really recognizes pitches as well. He uses the whole field. Um, I think there's going to be more power in there. So, so, so far, so good. But it's... You know, it's also crazy. Like he hit 195 his first month in pro ball, and I'm sure there were fans, some fans going, man, what were the Red Sox doing with this guy? And he's hit 380, and I think it's flown under the radar a little bit because his first month wasn't that great. But, I mean, he hit 414 in August and 409 in September so far. Um, He's just been getting better as the season goes along. He had nine home runs in August, too, after hitting three in his first three months of pro ball. So I am really interested to see – you know, guys who hit like that, I, I'm not putting them in the big leagues next year, Jonathan, but guys who hit like that tend to make the big leagues pretty quick. And I'll be curious to see what he does next year. Yeah. I think the jump to double A, like if, if he, you know, I, I agree with you, but if you told me that like September next year, he's knocking on the door, I could believe it. If he continues to do what he's doing now at a higher level. Sure. Why not? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, he's hit to get up, but it, it's only been two weeks, you know, but they promoted him to high A at age 19. He's still pretty young. And he's hit 404 with almost an 1100 ops in high A, and if he if he continues to just rake in high A, I would think you'd start him next year in double A. Quick question for you: Who makes it to the big leagues first, Nick York or Anthony Volpe? Gut instinct. I, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say. Well, I'll say Anthony Volpe. I just think he's he's a, he's a little further ahead. He was drafted a year earlier, um, but I think it could be pretty close. Yeah, uh, he just How jumped in my mind in terms of a middle infielder in the AL East who's young and performed ridiculously well this year. So, um, uh, you know, it, and it's interesting, uh, just incidentally, we'd have another graduate. Uh, Jaron Duran uh, would have graduated off, uh, but he went on the uh, the COVID list. So we will have uh, a few more top 100 guys. And as always, each week, we will uh, update everyone uh, on uh, on that. Uh, and who, you know, who is and, and is joining the list. So uh, congratulations to Nick York. Looking forward to see how much that arrow continues to point up as he goes along. All right, let's finish up with our mailbag. I, I, I almost think that we need to rename this the like the Stephen D'Alessio mailbag, because what percentage of the questions that we pick or, you know, or, or, or what percentage of inbox additions is Stephen D'Alessio a part of? I'd say if we do, let's say 50 inboxes, let's say there's a couple we don't do just because they're right on top of the draft. Where if we do 50 inboxes in a typical year, 
like he's got to have 15 to 20 questions, doesn't he? At least. He? I'll take and, it over. Because I know, I, I mean, there are weeks, Jonathan, where I feel like, oh, I've had a Stephen D'Alessio question. Like we alternate, so it won't be weeks. Or like maybe I've, I've done three in a row where I've had a Stephen D'Alessio question. I'm like, well, I just can't pick one this week. You know, like right. you I, 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 I hate to admit it, but he his questions are so good that I have the bar set high that like if I have a question, I'm like, ah, like I got to give somebody else a question. But yeah, he – and, and I, I haven't even kept track of pod question, podcast questions. Yeah, he's, don't he's in here. He's in here more often than not. And I think what he often does is he, you know, and people ask, this is not taking anything away from the, you know, rest of the questions. But, you know, we get a lot of questions that are individual about a specific organization or a specific player, which are great. Like we like answering those too. I think what, what, uh, at Stevie DL's 97 is really good at is, sort of finding these sort of the the broad looking at prospects as a whole kind of questions and that's uh you know that's where he stands out so steven as always thank you this week's dull seo mailbag question which prospects could you see being moved via trade in the off season and we did a a one fet now that everyone knows what that is a one for each team feature on this right before the deadline obviously the things can change during the off season so uh, Jim, you and I picked a, a player each uh, who we think could potentially uh, get moved. So let's finish things off this week uh, with your prospect that you think could get traded in the offseason. Yeah, and we're just answering the question here. We don't necessarily have insight that these guys are being shot. But, but I could see I could see the Giants trading Joey Bart, even though they took him with the number two overall pick in the 2018 draft. I mean, you know, as we record this, they have the best record in baseball. Big part of their season has been the resurgence of Buster Posey, who didn't play last year. He's having one of the best years of his career. He's enhancing his, his Hall of Fame candidacy with this season. I think coming into the year, it was – easy to envision a scenario. Okay. You know, Posey's 34, he's declining, you know, they've got, you know, his nine-year contracts coming to an end. They have an option next year. They're not going to pick it up. And then it'll be Joey Bart going forward in 2022. But now I would think that the Posey's option would be picked up if they don't at least, you know, they might extend him you know, with a multi-year deal. Um, you know, yes, the DH could come to the national leagues. So you could have a timeshare, but they also like the work that Kirk Casale is doing behind the plate from a, from a defensive standpoint. Um, and, you know, you look at the organization as a whole, you know, they, they spent last year's first round pick on another catcher and Patrick Bailey. They have Ricardo Genevez, who is a catcher who was defensive minded guy who's hit better the last couple of years. He, he's, you know, a good catching prospect. They have a, a, a guy in the it still feels weird saying ACL, Jonathan, the Arizona Complex League. Yes. Adrian Sugaste, who, who who's opened some eyes. So they have some catching depth. So I, I could see if the Giants, you know, like look, I mean, they're 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 contending going forward now. You know, they want to make a major move in the offseason. They could potentially part with Joey Bart. So so he would be my answer. Very, very interesting. Yeah, the the like I'm waiting for the so and so is tearing it up in the ACL and people with knee injuries everywhere are gonna cringe. Uh, so I, I'm not used to it either. It's been the AZL, so it's it's not that much different. I find it actually that is easier than the FCL compared to the former Gulf Coast League is now the Florida Complex League. Anyway, I digress. 
the guy that I'm going to talk about is Vidal Brujan. And I think, you know, kind of what you do, the, the, the quick equation that we do, uh, just like with that trade deadline, uh, but, you know, more so, is, you know, you can look at a bigger picture. It's like, well, where is a team? You know, are they, are they competing or does it look like they're going to compete in 2022? Uh, and is there a little bit of a logjam? So for me, you know, for, for us, I think Vidal Brujan fits that mold. Uh, you know, they, they've got plenty of talent to, at the big league level, as, as we are seeing. Uh, I'm not even saying, you know, that he's expendable because he didn't perform well in that very brief big league look. Uh, but this is a guy with, you know, a lot of ability. He can really run, uh, you know, 36 steals in the minors. The, the power actually started to show up a little bit more uh, this year. Uh, he's got uh, 37 extra base hits, 26 doubles and 10 homers, um, and he can play a bunch of different positions. Now, I don't think you trot him out as a as a shortstop uh, on a on a day in and day out basis. And he didn't play uh, you know any shortstop when he was in in the big leagues, uh, you know this this time around. But he can play the outfield. He can play second. He can sort of handle playing some short. Uh, they tried him at third uh, for a little bit. Uh, so I, there's a lot of talent here without a, necessarily a place for him to play. And I think for him to have a real impact, he's got to play every day, uh, you know, and, you know, that may may not happen uh, with, with Tampa. And, you know, and they've got other talent in the system. You know, Xavier Edwards is another guy where, it's, you know, well, where's how's he going to fit in? Because he fits a, a very similar profile, uh, but it does sound like uh, the Rays got a lot of questions. Listen, the Rays get questions probably all the time in trades for guys up and down their system. I mean, when you have one of the best systems in baseball, that's going to happen. But Bruhan was asked about quite a bit, and I think if they look during this off season uh, and there isn't a place for him, that might be able to bring in something that could help them continue. Uh, to do to do well in that ultra competitive AL East without completely damaging, uh, you know, their their very very deep farm system. All right, well that's going to do it for us uh, here for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions. Uh, Both Jim and I are very insecure, so we need as much positive feedback as possible. So leave us a good rating and a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.